distance Join the resistance Come on, let's start by talking tactics We have a partisan matchless Here's how we practice The last order conversation Hey everybody, welcome to Pop Culture Continuum This is John Elliott This is Patrick McCarty And this week we're doing Pixies versus Pixies oh, That's hard to say fast <laughs> The Pixies versus the Pixies. And, uh, yes, the first album, Surfer Rosa from 88. Um, they did an EP before that, but this is the first full-length album. Versus Indie Cindy, which is a new one, which uh, has not been officially released as an album at the time we're recording this, but it's really... All the really, songs are out. Yeah, they, they released it as three EPs. So it's, it's out. Um, but anyway... What is their status now, would you say? I mean, are they very popular or just kind of... What do you think they're thought of? I think they're thought of um, the same way like Husker Du or The Replacement. Well, The Replacements actually have done some reunion shows this year, this last year. But if they reformed, you know, I think there's a lot of... Because they're influential, so a lot of people who missed them first time around really want to go out and see them. So I think they, I think they sell pretty well. Oh, that's good. I, I like that. They're not only reunion or re, getting back together, but making new stuff that I actually enjoy. So it's kind of both as good. Although there's no Kim deal, which is sad. Yeah. I think, I mean, we'll talk about that a little later, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw them, I saw them twice during their original run. So I have no desire to see a reunion tour, but, uh, you know. I don't think I'd like their show. I like their music on uh, CD, but I don't think I would like their live versions of stuff. I think it would be too, too discordant, too loud. Well, damn, Pat, that's called rock and roll, man. Yeah, but if it's going to be like that, I want to see it in a small club, not where they're playing. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're playing huge places, but yeah, bigger than they should be playing. For yeah, it to sound yeah. right. Although I saw that the. the I saw them on the Doolittle tour, and then I saw them on their last tour for Trompe Le Monde. Um, but on that tour, I saw them opening for U2 on their Octoon Baby tour. So <laughs> it was not a good venue for to see the Pixies in. Yeah, it's a weird match. It was a weird match because I think uh, there were a lot of people there were not Pixies fans. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe some of them were turned into Pixies fans by that tour. Probably, I mean, as as much as you two started sucking, uh, I'd hope they'd they'd turn their attentions elsewhere. <laughs> but much like with with Bob Mould, I never thought of, I never really knew about the Pixies until after Frank Black. Yeah, that's weird to me. Because it was it was, I mean, eighty eight. I was in eighth grade, and I I didn't really listen to out there stuff until well after high school. So that's when he was his singles were coming out, and the Breeders. So I knew about them before I knew about the Pixies. Well, Frank, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Frank Black's solo stuff. I forget it. I might like it. I, I, I know, I know, I knew the name. I don't remember what the songs are like. Was well, it actually so, popular? I didn't even know that. Like, it got, you know, Frank Black it got on the radio. It got, I mean, not, not the like the college station. Yeah, of course. HFS or not the college alternative rock station HFS out of Baltimore. Well. Yeah, I, I don't know. The post-Pixie stuff's kind of a mess to me. Yeah, I mean, I like the Breeders, too. But uh, that was that was pretty different than the Pixies. 
mm-hmm. overall. Well, so was so was Frank Black, but I just thought he was. I don't know. I thought he was aimless after the Pixies, just kind of going all over the place, and I didn't think it worked. Was it, so did he work in different styles? I mean, kind of. You know, he tried yeah. to do some, like, countryish stuff. and Okay, I never heard that. And then just really kind of tamed down rock, compared to the Pixies, anyway. The only reason I even remember, I don't remember, his, like I said, I don't remember his songs very well, but I remember the story about how he changed his name, and I, I always thought that was funny so that's the only reason i really it really stuck with me yeah there's not a i mean musically there's not a lot that i think would make people a fan of his solo stuff but i don't know i also haven't given it a a good listen really you know Mm -hmm. um i got his first solo album and then just kind of i was like yeah all right i guess i'm done but is is the rest of the pixies are they anybody did they do anything not as far as I know, the drummer and the guitarist. Um, so they just kind of hung out and waited for these two to come back. They're yes. like at the same bar saying, they'll be here someday. And 20 years later, they were there. Collected money. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure they probably did stuff. It just wasn't, it didn't go anywhere. I'm not sure. I think they were just at that bar uh, spending the roll to check someone, I don't know, tater tots. Yeah, possibly. I mean, that's a good if I if I had that kind of money, I'd spend it on tater tots for sure. Um, where did they Where do they come from? Boston, Boston. So they are all from Boston. I saw Frank Black was. I wasn't sure. If the, yeah, the, I don't know if they were all from there, but they all went to school there. Okay. Um, and that's that's how they met. And they he, so he famously, I think it was Frank Black, uh, who was the one who put up the uh, the ad saying, uh, you know, to start a band. Said wanted to be. Uh, combination of Husker Du and Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> so, the, <laughs> and I mean, I guess that's kind of close to what it is. But Surfer Rosa, um, first album. Yeah, I remember when this came out and I thought it was, I thought it was great at the time. It was just like, you know, a continuation of what had been going on in underground rock. But I thought they were distinctive. Like, they didn't sound like an obvious ripoff of, of anybody to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the drummer's really good. Uh, Joey Santiago, the, the lead guitar player, I guess, has a very distinctive sound. And they had uh, Kim Deal, who was who added something to it uh, with her background vocals and her bass. Yeah, I yeah. thought they were a very, very distinctive band that stood out from all the other raging guitar bands. I think Kim Deal helps a lot. It kind of brings an, an, another sound that that uh, differentiates differentiates herself from everybody else, and it sounds really nice. Yeah, and I mean, I think I'll we'll talk about it a little later too. But I think her loss is kind of fatal. Like it's one of those things where uh, you need the you need the some of the parts to make up the whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, in mm-hmm. this case, I mean, there are a lot of bands where that's not true. Like you can. You can replace the drummer or bass player or guitar player or whatever, and nobody really cares because. Right. But I I feel like this was like a mixture of these specific personalities in this band that made it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, everybody was a big part of it. Um, and I I don't know if the drummer gets a lot of respect, but he's a really good drummer. And so Surfer Rosa, I didn't hear. I did not hear their EP, um, Come on Pilgrim, which was released in 87, um, but I did hear Surfer Rosa when it came out. 
and I was, so I was 18 at that time. So I was like perfect age for it. And, uh, I just liked that it was, you know, kind of crazy and dark, but still catchy. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely true. And, um, I'm surprised. Well, I don't know if you like this album or not, but, um, there's a lot of screamy stuff on it. Well, both albums had a lot of screamy stuff. I suppose that's true, yeah. And I didn't like most of the screamy stuff, but the, the specifically the three songs you picked out, I really liked. Then there's others. I did like the album. The the screamy stuff didn't uh, bother me as much on the first album as the second album, and it didn't really drive me away. It was there's enough good in it that I didn't care about it. Yeah, well, one of the one of the differences, um, I, well, I think he's just too old to be doing the screams now, anyway. Um, and they sound a little more strained. No, well, maybe I. They always sound strained to me and stupid, but that's my opinion. They sound great to me on this on the first album. Um, where I guess you, you never had any anger or uh, or dissatisfaction with life, <laughs> so you can't relate to the desire to scream. Well, it's it's tough when you've led the perfect life. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. You're like you're like the Gwyneth Paltrow of podcasting. I feel sorry for her. Her life is so difficult. That's how great my life is. Yeah. So it it makes sense that that the screams wouldn't appeal to you, but uh I was an angry person was. And uh well, I I have to admit sometimes I will scream screams of perfection, but they they don't sound like that cuz they're so melodic. No, yeah, they're perfectly yeah. They're very they, they usually cause when I do these screams at five mile radius, everyone is having a, an instant orgasm. So I try not to do it. And birds flock to you, little cartoon birds come and mm-hmm. land on your shoulder. Yeah. I don't like giving other people joy. Well, then why do you do the screams of perfection? I don't. That's why I don't do it very often. Oh, I don't I want see. them. And and bird cartoon birds also have cartoon shit, and that is impossible to clean up. I'd imagine. Technicolor. You got to get some kind of a DVD racer. I don't even know what that means. So, Bone Machine is the, is the first song we're talking about from from this album. Yeah, and uh, well, this is another difference that I'll I might as well bring up now. Um, so the the lyrics are very uh, who the fuck knows? They're they're weird lyrics. Mm-hmm. Your bones got a little machine. Um, yeah, <laughs> and. And, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, you can see that maybe they're inspired by, like, cheesy horror movies or something, partly, and, and you know, trash culture. And uh, was there's the line in this, um, you bought me a soda and then you tried to molest me in the parking lot. Yep, 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 <laughs> which, is, which is an awesome line. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's all just evocative stuff um, without... There's no story to it or anything. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I feel like the the weirdness of the lyrics on on these their earlier albums are are more organic than uh, on the on this new album. I feel they come off being a little forced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I read some of him talking about the lyrics, and it did seem like he was forcing things. He's trying to do Pixie's lyrics. Well, not Pixie's lyrics, but he was trying to say it tell a story and it you know when you're trying so hard it doesn't always 
work out quite as well. Like you, uh, to jump ahead a little bit, or we don't have to talk about now, but he, the story I already was talking about Magdalena. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll bring it back up. We'll get back to that, later. yeah. But, uh, but I like Bone Machine's discordance, which is weird because I don't usually like that, but I do like it. It's, it's a little bit wild, and it's it's a little bit discordant, but it's fun. Well, it's got, yeah, it's got a, a riff that you can, like, follow along with. Yeah, and has that talk singing in the Keep middle. things in check, yeah, yeah. And Tim, a Kim Deal coming in there once in a while is kind of, I don't know, make it a little bit more beautiful. Background, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, by today's standards, it's, it doesn't sound, uh, all that out there, Mm -hmm. but, but back then it it still was. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess the, the album wasn't really a hit. It was probably like a, you know, a college radio station hit. Right. But for some reason I thought it was, it was pretty big. Um, I don't know how I'm trying to look up right now actually to see how well it did. If you look up, I mean, not not talking about how big it was as far as popularity, but if you look up its its influence, that was huge. I mean, I I read uh, Kurt Cobain talking about it, the guy from Radiohead, the guys from uh, Smashing Pumpkins, everybody that worked in the '90s liked this album. It seems like. Oh yeah, I think it was. I mean, I think this was like where that stuff that that I was listening to earlier in the '80s, um, like the SST stuff and. Uh, actually kind of broke through a little bit not not as big as nirvana but it was definitely bigger than all all those other groups um that i'd been listening to and and that was good i think it definitely paved the way for for the alternative in quotation marks uh boom of the 90s right grunge all yeah. that stuff yeah i mean they i i'm not well, i don't a, know if they wore flannel but yeah they i mean they kind of they didn't dress up Mm-hmm. But that you know, that's the same. Well, how many as... rock bands ever wear tuxes? Right, that's true. Aside uh, from the Beatles, the Beatles and uh, the Residents. Yeah, well, but but you know, there was a lot of. I mean, in in popular music, there was a lot of image. You know, Madonna yeah. and Michael Jackson and stuff. Whereas uh, most of these bands, like the Replacements, were they were flannel. You know, they weren't. Speaking of image, did you ever go to a Man or Astro Man show? No, I did not. That's that's a I don't I guess they're not around anymore but that was a fun time. They all they never broke character. I guess kind of like that what was that uh that DJ guys from France France. They, anyway, they oh, never Daft broke Punk. character. Yeah, they never broke character. They always wore their space outfits because the story was there are, there are aliens from space that came to visit and they really like surf rock. Oh they shit, did, I did see them. Yeah, it was fun, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was a very fun show. And the uh, there's no encores. There's just at the end of the show they brought out a uh Tesla coil and invited everyone up to touch it. And then they just stopped singing and left. Really? Yeah. I don't think that happened at mine. No, it was awesome. Yeah, no, I, yes, I did see them. Um, yeah, it's always fun. I, I saw, an, I think the band that opened for them too did some dress up thing. Like they were all dressed up as apes or something. <laughs> I can't remember who the hell it was. I think that sort of thing should happen more often. Playing garage rock. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, you're definitely uh, limiting your audience when you do that kind of thing, but those are always fun shows, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I was I was trying to think of uh, some really fun shows that I'd seen. It's it's again, it's like it's not necessarily the the bands you would think, but like I saw the Smithereens back in back in '88. I think the year this came out. 
and they were just super fun, like coming into the crowd and playing and just being drunk and goofballs <laughs> the whole night. And shit, there was another really fun band. Ah, well, doesn't matter. Um, Cracker was very fun. I saw them as part of one of those festival shows. And it was actually the first concert I ever went to. And I forget who the headliner was, somewhat, somewhat forgettable, but Cracker put on the best show. They did a bunch of whatever that was popular they did at the time. And then they, they went into some Camper Van Beethoven songs, and that was actually better than any of their regular stuff. Oh, yeah. Camper Van, Camper Van Beethoven was really good. I was never really a fan of Cracker. but uh, Oh, the, the Hoodoo Gurus were really fun, too. That was another one. Probably around the same time I saw them. But just like fun rock, which the Pixies were not fun. Uh, they were, you know, they were trying too hard, not trying too hard. They were just darker. Mm-hmm. Harsh. Yeah, more harsh and uh, more like a David Lynch <laughs> film, their music. <laughs> but you want to, well, let's play a little bit of uh, Bone, a Bone Machine. Machine so people know what the hell we're talking about if they are unaware of the Pixies. So here's Bone Machine. Uh, that's pretty much the template for the rest of the album too I mean there's some somewhat slower stuff I guess but it's still all like there's still distortion or like ghost ghostly effects and stuff on I didn't mark down what song it was but there is one that uh that's really neat and not definitely not catchy but it kind of sounds like you're they're playing instruments where the battery's running out and that's that's a fun song. Oh shit! But I don't... Well, oh. I'm yeah, I'm trying to think of what it could be, but I'm not gonna waste time uh, going you, over them in my head. Okay, but you know the kind of you know the song I'm talking about. I think about. so. Yeah. 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 It's fun, but it's not one of the three we're talking about, so forget it. Might as well throw it in the trash. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. Don't even bother listening to any any of them except for the ones we're talking about. Could it be? Never mind. I'm not gonna do it. Um. <laughs> A broken face. I, I don't know if it is, but it sounds to me like what I would classify as punk. That that kind of like the buzzy guitar that drives through the whole song, and he kind of sings really fast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. Yeah, I would call it punk. Why not? Um, yeah, very. Fa- it's only like a minute and a half long. Yeah. Um, and he does the weird falsetto. <laughs> Got a broken face. Well, we'll play this. We might even actually play this whole thing because it's so goddamn short. But uh, 
but you'll get it. Yeah, another one where, uh, where I don't know, he's, who knows, it's like Bunuel-esque, which obviously he was a fan of because he wrote Debaser based on uh, the, you know, the slicing up eyeballs based on the Bunuel short film. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't even know who Bunuel is. Oh, you must know, really? He's like a, he's like a avant-garde filmmaker Spanish. He, he did his first film way back with uh, him and Salvador Dali. Oh. And it was a short film. It's uh, got the, it's the one where the woman, there's a dude who takes a razor blade to the woman's eye and slices it. Jeez. Yeah. You, you never saw that? No, I, I might have heard of it, but I've definitely never seen it. Okay. They used to sh- actually show it on MTV, which was really weird, like late at night. Huh. Um, MTV? MTV. Back okay. when it was all videos. Um, I, th- I thought you said NTV, and I wasn't sure what that was. NTV? Nerd, mm-hmm. nerd TV? Oh, I love that one. These are old episodes of the original Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and uh, ironically, no Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Broken Face. I just like it because it's, it's just so fast and it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I can't even... The, the lyrics make no sense. But it's, it's kind of... Even though he's... I, um, I got no lips. I got no tongue. Whatever he's talking about, it still comes off as funny. Yeah. For some reason, like it's it's not, it doesn't it's not as violent as it. Uh, I mean, the music's kind of like you said, fast and harsh, and the lyrics are, are not pretty, but it, it comes off more as a cartoon, more as like Silly. a, yeah, a Tarantino style violence. Um. So yeah, you want to go into it? We'll do mm-hmm. Broken Face. Here you go. last one I picked was uh, for this album was Gigantic. Um, I know Where Is My Mind is probably the, the big favorite of people on this album, but I picked Gigantic because uh, it showcases Kim Deal, and I wanted to, you know, give an example of why she was so important to the group. And so awesome, yeah. I, and I know it's a, a few years early, but this song seems to me like a good summation of 90s rock or alternative or whatever you want to call it. And it, it, it just sounds it to me the guitar going hard and then dropping it to nothing and then uh i don't know specifically but just when i hear this song i hear 90s yeah no i get it um well like like you said they were wildly influential on the 90s alternative scene so 
uh, and this was the first most people heard of them who would go on and, to make that music. And I was reading that they, for many years, they used this as their last song. Yeah, their encore, which I guess they can't do now. Uh, I mean, maybe they try it. I don't know. I don't even know. Well, they who... have someone else, uh, another female singer. Oh, they do. So maybe they do it with her, or maybe they're like, this, that would be stupid. Let's not do that. But he's, he, yeah, he, he said, he said, we kind of got sick of doing that because it kind of felt like Broadway. We're doing the same song every time. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, although, you know, it's also show business. Yeah. It's what you've, that's what you've signed on for. So, um, although, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you don't want to be Billy Joel either. <laughs> oh, don't you? Well, maybe Low financially. Brinkley. Maybe financially and in, uh, in the looks department. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't. I can't completely hate Billy Joel either. As I said before, even hacks get off a good song now and then. And there's not many people who have the theme song for Bosom Buddies. That's true. Well, actually, there's probably two because there's the one he did and then whatever the one they did for, for syndication. That Muzak almost, almost was, Billy Joel's song. It was song. like a version of it that they did on syndication? Yeah, because they no longer had the rights and it was like not immediate syndication, but if you've seen that show lately that's what they would have and just just you watch it and you're like this isn't right there's something wrong here that was back when uh the uh the credit sequence the opening credit sequence took up half the show yes tom hanks and peter scolari throwing the football around peter scolari should go first in that sentence <laughs> the uh yeah no i think uh I've got a friend who's uh, who did a, a blog, A Year of Billy Joel, because he hated uh, Billy Joel, and so he decided he was going to listen to him for a year, and he's like working on a book about the project now. Um, but, you know, Bill, <laughs> I don't know. As you get older, that kind of stuff, you're, you can be like, oh, I can see the, I can see the song craft in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and millions of people adore it, so. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not anything I want to, have a steady diet of but i can i can listen to some billy joel and be like oh yeah he's like you know he's like an old an old brill building songwriter or something what's that what's brill building oh that was like songwriters back in the day you know like carol king and and uh back when uh like say early 60s when there was a lot of uh bands weren't writing their own material they went to songwriters like the monkeys okay okay um, but is Brill Building the building they worked out of in New York? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Brill Building pop. Um, anyway. Well, the Monkees wrote their own music. They they wrote some of their stuff, but not very much. Um, okay. Well, wasn't wasn't uh, Daydream Believer Neil Diamond song? Yep. Yeah. And and Carol King wrote a lot of songs for him. Um, well, Neil, <laughs> Neil Diamond wrote a few too. And Voice uh, and Heart. Another songwriting team wrote a lot for them. Anyway, uh, the Pixies wrote all their own stuff, obviously. And Gigantic was uh, it was uh, co-written Kim Deal and uh, Black Francis or Frank Black or whatever you want to call them. And neither of those have anything to do with his real name, which I didn't know either. Charles Thompson. Yeah. Well, you which was see... already already taken by quite a few uh, hip hop singers. Oh, was it really? No. 
Chuck T. The, uh, C-Top. The uh, C-Top, the worst rap name ever. Uh, next to Vanilla Ice. But Gigantic, so it was... I guess it was supposed to be about, and I, I read it actually was, um, although they say here it was based on a movie about uh, a white woman uh, going out with a black man. So, uh, <laughs> you know, gigantic, your big, big love. Not exactly the most tasteful uh, theme to a song. But, you know, what? It's, it's rock. What's taste got to do with it, really? Still catchy as hell. Taste is just a simple second in emotion. Oh, yeah, according to uh, Tina Turner. What's she know? She lives in France. Oh, I thought she lived in Greece. No, you're thinking of the musical Greece, which she starred in for many years. No, you're thinking of the Wiz, which she starred in. No, you're thinking of Diana Ross, who was also in Greece. You're thinking of Mahogany. Constantly. Oh, Billy D. Who's yeah? Who's not constantly thinking of Billy D? He uh, I was surprised to see him on um, on Modern Family, <laughs> playing himself. Pro- yeah, proof of your uh, your racist maxim that black don't crack because he still looks pretty damn good. I don't know what he I don't know what he was known for necessarily before Lando Calrissian. Well, Mahogany, right? I mean... Yeah, he was, but I I mean, I guess I was watching... I think I told you there's, like, some channel here that shows... It's, it's like, um, BET, but a million times better, because um, they don't show... Well, for the most part, they don't show uh, stupid Tyler Perry things or anything, but they show a lot of, like... At night, they'll show a lot of old black exploitation movies and stuff. Oh, that's cool. And I was watching one, and he was in it. It was from, like, 72, you know, and it looked like... Um, it looked like the film had like been run through water or something before it was projected. <laughs> you know, it's got that washed out look. Um, but Billy D was in it, and I can't remember if if it was the same one. There was another one that had Richard Pryor in it, um, and it might have been the same one. But did anyway, uh, Lando Lando Calrissian come before the Colt Forty Five commercials or after? I'm pretty sure before, because I knew who he was when he did the Colt Forty Five commercials, and I'm positive I okay. didn't know him. Before that, I'm actually looking up uh, Billy D. Williams right now um, to see what his. It, it, it's. I mean, maybe he doesn't need the work, but it's a shame he didn't get more work because he's always really good. There's nothing, never anything wrong with his performance. He's a, you know, not that he could be doing real serious roles, but just little uh, less meaty roles like he had in that episode of Modern Family would be fine for him. More like Lando Calrissian just being an action movie. Yeah, he's he's a good like just smooth dude. Yeah, yeah. He first appeared on Broadway in 1945. Wow. Oh, yeah. my God. Was he a kid? Yeah, because it says he returned to Broadway as an adult in 1960. Okay. Um, so I guess he started out in, uh, oh, he made his film debut in 59 in The Last Angry Man. Oh, Brian's Song, of course. Shit, I did know him then because uh, we watched Brian's Song in grade school. I don't know why. <laughs> So was is that the the movie with the the, uh, the football players dying? Yeah, yeah. Him does he play the one that's dying, or does he play the the friend? Uh, no, he plays the friend. James Caan okay. was the one who was dying. He's oh okay. That was one of those. Sh- I've never seen it, but it was often played on the UHF channels when I was a kid. Yeah, it's a 
it's a tearjerker. I mean, I'd probably find it really stupid if I watch it now. But I remember being touched by it, watching it in class in well, sixth just grade. Being or able whatever. to watch a movie in class is great. That's yeah, no, that's true. And it was probably hard to find movies to show in class back then. Um, One this was year, a TV movie, so it was fine. It wasn't for class, but it was for like it was the end of the year, and the teachers just let us do whatever we wanted. And the teacher brought in Fer- Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and was letting us watch that for the day. And it was a young teacher who brought it in, and there was this old guy who was a history teacher who was watching it with us. And it got to the point where uh, Ferris Bueller is talking about the coal being up Cameron's ass until it turns into a diamond. He just stormed through the classroom and turned it off. He's like, "This is a bad example for all you." <laughs> we in my senior year well coincidentally the year of surfer rosa uh in my french class we watched some movie um but she had to send home it was like a movie in french and she, but she sent home permission slips because i guess it had cussing that oh, we had was to it, get it was not emmanuel it might have been black emmanuel no it wasn't it was it was some shitty french comedy um, which is redundant, but because <laughs> all French movies are comedies, and all their comedies are shitty. Um, the but I, I remember I was really happy because I was already eighteen. I'm like I don't need a fucking parental signature for this. <laughs> I was like, here you go. I signed it myself. I thought, <laughs> and then you ripped it up in front of her. I thought I was so cool. And then you said fuck you in French, which is <laughs> sacre bleu. Yes, exactly. Sacre bleu to you. Um, you always say the to you because that's how French people speak. Yeah, a I little bit of English. To vous, which is actually would be you, you in French, two different forms of it. But formal and informal. See, I remembered something. I also taught myself uh, a very uh, offensive thing to say in French from French class, and uh, it's about almost all I remember now. I'm not going to go into it here, because I'm too busy uh, reading about Billy D. In 1992, he portrayed Barry Gordy in The Jacksons and American Dream. Oh, God. Is that a TV movie? Oh, yeah, I think it was like a VH1 movie or something. Just <laughs> terrible. Well, I guess he was getting work then, so that's good. Just not stuff I was watching. He, he did record a, a jazz LP in 1961. Really? Like, yeah. oh, like jazz standard, like he was singing. It does not say. Oh, yeah, he sang several swing standards. Huh. Which is uh, not very cool for a black dude to be doing in 61, swing music, but whatever. He's a, he was ahead of the curve and behind the curve. Yeah, as usual. He's also done some uh, video game voice work. <laughs> Mario Brothers? But he did the little boop boop. He did the Luigi. <laughs> Get me the I pizza. Always, I always forgot how famous he was for his ethnic, his ethnic dialogue. That's why you don't recognize him in so many things. He blends in. Um, all right, what the hell? What are? I don't even know what we're talking. Have we? We haven't even played the song yet, right? Gigantic. No, we will. I yeah. just want to talk about how he's already been cast in the new Star Wars movies. He's playing uh, Lando Calrissian Jr. I heard that. That's the first, uh, it's the first smart thing I've heard of J.J. Abrams doing. Wait, he's playing Lando Calrissian Jr. <laughs> I didn't know he was really cast. Maybe I'm. Maybe it was just a beautiful dream I had. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't say anything about it on his uh, 
on his wiki, wiki page. So let's see. Filmography. Legal problems. Uh-oh. Wow, yeah. We got to get to that. Oh, they've got his filmography. He's They've got listed Dancing with the Stars 2014. That's the most recent thing. So He's going to be in that or he has been in that? I guess he's... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that shit's on. I, I can't watch it. Um, wait, I gotta I gotta find his legal problems. Oh, he was arrested on January thirtieth, nineteen ninety six, after allegedly beating his living girlfriend. Jeez. Yeah. I uh, like to file a friend of the court brief on that case. I'm sure he didn't do it. Twenty five years later. Yeah. Well, it says uh, he got a plea guard plea bargain agreement to dismiss the charges, um, but he was ordered to undergo 52 counseling sessions. One for each time he hit her. Oh, Billy D. That's really... Come Let on, the punishment man. fit the crime. That, that, that brings me down a little. Anyway. Uh, gigantic. Speaking gigantic. Black man. Uh, we will... Hold on. Play. No, not not quite yet, because um, I wanted to see something. God damn it. Oh, this is making me so mad. Fucking wiki. Where is it? Gigantic. There we go. So it's based on a film, uh, Crimes of the Heart. Oh, it, that wouldn't have been with uh, Billy D because it, it was a married woman falls in love with a black teenager. <laughs> That's too bad. It would have been great to bring it all around back to them like we did it on purpose. Yeah, I'm trying to see who the black teenager was, but I, I don't recognize any of these people. So, anyway, uh, goddamn, let's just play Gigantic. What do you say? Please. All right, here's Gigantic. And this I know, his teeth is white as snow. What a gas it was to that um, not much to do with Billy D. Williams that song or Billy Joel but uh, but hopefully do, you'll have those associations in your head every time you listen to it from now on before we take the break I, I want to mention something I read on uh, Black Francis's Wikipedia page he, as a teenager he, his, and they mention this specifically and I don't know why maybe it's his Thai neighbor asked him to sing Oh Darling by the Beatles. And when he asked him, he said, scream it like you hate that bitch. Like you hate the bitch that he's singing about? I guess so. I guess he's, yep. That's a weird thing for your Thai neighbor to ask you to do. <laughs> it's a weird, for, I, it's an interesting story, but it's weird that they spe- specifically mentioned that it was his Thai neighbor. Not that other neighbor across the street. Yeah, not, not, Mr. Walsh, who's uh, 
is drinking his retirement away. But his Thai neighbor, I, I just like that there's no more to the story than that. That's it. Like, who knows Who knows how that came about? Well, that's how he acquired his vocal style. By singing Oh Darling. I could see it. Although I can't picture him singing the non-screamy parts of Paul McCartney. But, yeah, he's, I remember, uh, I remember back then it was, it was the three kind of portly bald dudes in alternative rock was him and Bob Mould and uh, Andy Partridge from XTC. And I just thought it was cool that uh, that these uggos were, you know, fronting bands. And there's no good reason, but I do think of Frank Black and Bob Mould this, at, this, in, at the same time, and I'm not sure why. They have similar vocal styles, I think. And they, they went solo and they changed their style a little bit. It seems like the Pixie stuff is more screamy than his... Well, I don't know his solo style, so I don't know if that's true or at all. It's, it's true, yeah. Yeah, his solo stuff was definitely more mellow. Um, all right, well, you want to take that, a break here? Oh, sorry, go ahead. That story comes from a book called Fool the World, the oral history of a band called the Pixies. Have, have, have you read that or heard of it? Nope. Uh, I like how they say a band called the Pixies. Because you might think they were just talking about a group Actual of pixies. little fairies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't say the Pixies. The world history of a band called Pixies. Which yeah. makes it sound more like it's about some kind of otherworldly creatures. Well, they are technically Pixies. Not the Pixies. But, you okay. know, you just sound dumb if you call them Pixies. Yeah. It's so much easier just to say the Pixies. Yeah. You know, just just like you say the Beatles or um, the Hall and Oates. It, it well, do you? I say Hall and the Oats because Hall is kind of generic, but Oats is the. Yeah, that, very specific. Has a nice mustache. Uh, Hall of Famers this year. Oats of Famers, if you will. And I will. With that, let's go to break. We'll be right back. We had a comrade. A brave comrade, he could talk for whole days But then he tried to be a hero Tried talking about Shanmiro To computers wearing earphones He almost died for conversation Hallucinations, good vibrations Van Dyke Park's Greyhound Racing Steeplechasing With Indie Cindy, the first new Pixies album in 23 years. So I guess they even beat My Bloody Valentine at uh, taking such a long time between albums. But this didn't feel really feel like an album. I, mean, I know it, it wasn't, but it didn't really have any cohesion. No, it doesn't. It's Yeah, uh, I, uh, I think I like this album probably far less than you did. Um, and as I said before, I think the loss of Kim Deal is fatal. I th- I think you probably I didn't love it, but I liked the songs I did like I liked a lot. But there's a lot of songs I will just never listen to again. Yeah, I thought um my problem is we talked about it a little before we went on the air. I listened to the album all week, but almost nothing stuck with me. Oh, I the, the three songs that we're <laughs> going to talk about that stick with me pretty 
pretty strongly. First one did, but I had also heard it before and liked it, um, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the Green strongest song on the album. Yeah, Green, I think Green and Blues, Blues might be the best song on both albums. I really like it. Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far, but I've had so much time with the other one, you know. Yeah, I don't have a history with, with, with the other stuff, so that's a part of it. And I guess aside from Where's My Mind, which I've heard plenty of times. And it's gigantic, too, but a lot of the other album I hadn't heard that much. Yeah, the well, the we it's not one of the ones we're talking about, but the first song on this album um, is like kind of harsher than the other ones, and it sounds like somebody trying to do an imitation of the Pixies, but not oh. quite pulling it off. And I f- yeah. felt like that kind of set the tone a little bit. Um, and that song's called uh, "What Goes Boom," and and I still like I can't think of the melody in my mind. It's almost it's somewhat close to heavy metal. That's what I thought of a lot of the bad songs on this on this album. Yeah, heavy metal or even hard rock, like you know, seventies hard rock. Some of it, yeah. And and the only other one that stuck in my mind, just because uh, beside uh, Greens and Blues, just because I thought the words were so dumb, was uh, Snakes. I don't remember Snakes. Was is another screamer? Because there's a lot of screamers in here, not in a good way. Not really a screamer. No, okay. um, it's snakes are coming underground or something coming to your town they're traveling underground it's just really dumb um and catchy in an annoying way okay so uh green let's talk a little about green and blues i was we're talking off off of the when we weren't recording that i read an interview where he said he wanted to write another song to end shows with so that's what where green and blues came from he wanted to have something like medium tempo and just a certain kind of sound and I, I think he accomplished good things with it. It's a good song. I don't even remember the lyrics that well, but it sounds really good. Well, I don't think the lyrics ever really matter that much with the Pixies anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't either. But it's, yeah, it's definitely a good mid-tempo uh, Pixies pop song. Yeah, yeah. It fits it fits in well with uh, Here Comes Your Man, though not quite as, uh, not quite as bouncy as that one, but. And not quite as memorable. No, no. But still good. Um, but the and and the only one I could say I, I really enjoy on this on this album. Um, but the mid tempo thing works on this song. I think there are too many songs that the slower tempo didn't work in their favor at all. I I wanted more. And like I said, like the first song was like kind of heavy metal. That didn't work either. So. I don't I don't know what the answer is, but it it just seemed like they're kind of uh, running out of steam on a lot of these, a lot of these songs to me. Well, I think a, another part of the problem is there's no Kim Deal because, or even somebody they had somebody else that they were touring with for a while, and nobody nobody no women is on this, so it's all his voice and the background's not as good. No, yeah, you you need that sweetening and and uh, also you need to rock more like the the faster ones all seem like failed attempts at fast songs to me mm-hmm. um they don't really rock like they're like i said it sounds like a a pixies tribute band or somebody who'd been influenced by the pixies and, and like a kind of a more lame uh mainstream alternative rock band a lot of these songs sounded like to me um <clears throat> the actually the three we picked are all pretty much mid-tempo yeah, and I like them. You and didn't like the other two. No screaming. Um, no, they're they're okay, but they don't achieve greatness. Like if this was right. the 
the only Pixies album that uh, anybody ever heard. I doubt they'd be that big. No, the, yeah, the, a lot of the album has that screaming and it doesn't sound good, and the stuff that doesn't is kind of generic. I was, I mean, there was one song where he did a lot of screaming. I was actually kind of happy for just to hear that he kind of at least sounded like he had some passion. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't. It still wasn't a great song. Um, but but Greens and Blues is a great song, I think, I or think at least so, or at least a really good song. Mm-hmm. And I think this one can stand proudly against their their best stuff. Um, you want to just go ahead and play it? Wait, before we play it, just as we talk negatively about the band, I want to <laughs> another Wikipedia quote. This one from the guy who produced the previous who who produced Surfer Rosa, and he's talking about oh, Steve Albini. He's talking about the band in '91 when they're recording <laughs> Trompe Le Monde. He says Patrick Pinsloaf. I, th- I guess he's talking about that album. I'm not sure what he's talking about specifically, but from a band to it, their top dollar best are blandly entertaining college rock. Their willingness to be guided by their manager, the record company, and their producers is unparalleled. Never have I seen four cows more anxious to be led around by their nose rings. He later apologized. Well, Steve Albini's known for making statements like that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I just, I just like the. It's so vicious about a, a band that i i don't know if, if he was already famous already or but or what but that the the album he did got kind of brought him some fame yeah well he was uh he was in uh i mean he produced some stuff for nirvana he's he's done all kinds of and maybe smashing pumpkins i'm not a smashing pumpkins fan so i don't know but they said i mean they said specifically that kirk cobain got him because he did produce this I mean, yeah, well, he was also in a, um, in an eighties, uh, eighties alternative band called big black mm-hmm. who, who were known for, um, very harsh music and, and harsh lyrics. Um, and he's, he's always been kind of an outspoken dick. Yeah. And um, then he apologizes later. Yeah. He's like one of those, um, cooler than everybody else guys like this, this music doesn't live up to my idea of what true independent music is, you know, but he's also very in demand. And I think he, he charges something like $5,000 to record an album for a band, no matter how big or small they are. So he, Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So he's done like a lot of like unknown bands, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of big name bands. So yeah, it's it's and he's that's and pretty cool. It is, and that's one of the cool things I've heard him talking about how how much producers uh, are just rip off artists. He's like, it's not that hard, you know, and and uh, it's not that hard to get a good sound out of something. You don't need to charge that much. That's all like record record company bullshit. Although if he's going to charge so little for the small bands, I think he should charge the big bands a lot to kind of pay for the little bands. Well, he's. He's definitely a man of principle. I don't <laughs> yeah. think he's going to do that. Um, yeah, that's funny that, I mean, I would think only Steve Albini would call uh, their first album Bland College Rock. Um, I, yeah, that's what he's singing there at their best. Yeah. So I don't even know if he's talking about the first album. Yeah, so um, I don't I don't think that's, especially at the time, mm-hmm. it wasn't Bland. It might have been Bland slightly compared to like the butthole surfers or something. Um, but you know how much, how much fucking crazy can you have in, in one scene? 
I, I yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but uh, no, I I, mean, I think he regretted it pretty quickly. It's just yeah, kind of a funny quote. Yeah, no, it is. He's always he's always good for a memorable quote, even if he's wrongheaded about it. Um, but I yeah, I shudder to think what he would think of this album. Um, yeah, that's when that's kind of what brought it to mind. Uh, well, we haven't played Green Blues yet. We nope, should let here, people hear the good song first. Yeah, here's Greens and Blues from uh, Indie Cindy. the best it gets in my opinion i agree with that i just don't think the others get quite that bad but they aren't great either no i remember the f- this these of uh, these two there's let me take that back because there is stuff on this album i think is terrible I, i'm surprised you don't like it but i guess I, all screaming sounds the same to me and you can differentiate well the screaming has to be in service of something i mean mm-hmm. if you're really feeling something and you're screaming about it then that's cool like i get I get that impulse and you're being honest when you're just screaming because like, that's what you've always done. Yeah. That's what you're known for. You're trying to like recapture something that you've lost. Then it's, it's just sad. And yeah, really screaming does have to serve the song. Um, and as you know, uh, Bob mold is a master of that. I will say no more. (laughs) The, (laughs) And and heavy metal dudes are are the worst at it because their screams are very operatic and like trained and I'm like you're not even expressing anything you're just like showing off your voice like there it's not it's not rage or frustration in in the heavy metal screams that's what's always bothered me although I do like uh, Lemmy's bark in Motorhead he doesn't really scream but he has like a very one note gruff voice um, that I like and I know you do not. <laughs> but motorhead's really much closer to just straight ahead rock and roll than heavy metal so i think i i dig it anyway Husker do gets a mention in this week's parks and rec just to let you know so you can have something to look forward to when you watch it no shit oh that reminds me have you listened to um 
Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott's podcast, You Talking You Two to Me? No, I I heard that they're going to do that. How is it? It's pretty funny. I mean, they they sometimes they actually talk about you two, and a lot of times they're like <laughs> us with the tangents. <laughs> That's cool. I, I should look out for because Adam Scott's tangents must be fun. Yeah, and it like we've had people. Um, you know, get annoyed with us for not having our facts straight. And I, I realize why, because when I listen to them and they're just like straight up wrong about shit that I know, I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Do your research before you start talking. But what's the fun in that? Well, exactly. Uh, I mean, I understand it. It's just when you have that information, I know why it drives you crazy. I It drives me crazy when people are putting themselves out as experts and they're talking about something, then I'll scream at the radio or the, yeah, when they get it wrong. Right. Right. What I'm listening to. But other than that, I'm okay with mistakes. Yeah, no, me too. I mean, it's, it's funny anyway. Like I don't actually get mad. I just, I'm just like, damn, you're doing a podcast about you too. And you're getting facts wrong. (laughs) Oh, about you too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Um, but I was thinking actually that, I don't. All right, this this was an idea of mine, inspired by the you talking you two to me. Um, I was thinking maybe for some period we could do the same thing with REM, where we do every REM album, we we compare like the first one to the last one, and then the second to the second to last, and keep going until we do every <laughs> we single do. REM album. But it's kind of funny how we're going to do it moving inward. So we're going to the last two will be compared to like two years apart. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's the only way to do it, really. I like that. That's a fun idea. I mean, it would, and that would uh, definitely, we wouldn't have to worry about coming up with topics for, you know, eight weeks or something. And I can tell you for, for an actual absolute fact that I'll like out of time a lot more than you did. Um, yes, I, I heartily agree with that. And I will like, <laughs> I will like their uh, albums on IRS from uh, 82 to 87, probably a lot more than you will. So. I don't know. I like that stuff too. I just, I, I know you don't like anything after green quite that much. And now time is probably the first album I ever bought. So I have that nostalgia to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I will say there are songs on out of time um, that I, that I really like, that, like a uh, near wild heaven, I think is a great song. But mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be like a, a particularly well-known one. I mean, I think they released it as a single, but it wasn't like a hit or anything. And uh, the last song, "Me and Honey," I don't know if you remember that one. I like that. No, I don't remember that one. Anyway, yeah, so maybe we can do that. I think that would be fun. So you want to do it straight, straight on? You don't straight want to like through. mix it up? <laughs> yeah, yeah no, fun. I think just do it. It can be yeah. like a summer thing or something. How many albums did they have? Sixteen. 16 so that oh eight weeks of eight weeks of rem that's not two months of rem yeah yeah uh, okay well we'll plan on doing it i'll i'll get you whatever you don't have and we can do that um should have most everything i I, i'm surprised if i don't have if there's anything i don't have what super what album was superman on life's rich pageant i don't i don't know if i have that or not but i know i have i have that (laughs) copy of that song from a bunch of different places because it was on a few different compilations i have a compilation of a bunch of different IRS artists that were called We're Crazy and it's on that. That's a, a neat disc and I forget I think I stole that from my brother. It's a it's a really neat little collection. I can't even remember who else was on IRS. The Go Go's and uh Wall of Voodoo, maybe? Well yeah, the uh there's there's a couple that you that well you've heard of, but most people have never heard of that I don't remember everybody on it right off the top of my head, but 
Oh, maybe the English beat was on IRS in, in the U.S. I can't remember. But, okay, it doesn't matter. See how see how we're try, doing our best not to talk about this new Pixies album? <laughs> yeah, I remember the first... Uh, it's not one of the ones we're talking about, but the very first single they released um, of their new stuff was called Bag Boy. Um, and I, I was like, this is terrible. This is This is not the Pixies I know, and... I'm not looking forward to anything else they come out with just because I hated that song so much. But I never heard it, thankfully. Yeah, well, you've but heard it. It's, it's a... on this album, but... Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. You, you... Well, Greens and Blues was so good, so, and that's the first new Pixie song I heard, and I, I really liked it when I, when I heard that, so I think that colored my opinion of what their new stuff was going to be like because I liked that one so much. Yeah. Fine I... Young Cannibals and Oingo Boingo. Oingo also. Boingo, of course. Also part of IRS records. And the alarm. Ugh. Yeah. You two wannabes. I don't remember them. Yeah. Concrete Blonde. Wow, there's there's names. They are names. Yeah, well, I mean IRS was like a major independent label back in the day. I think it was run by Stuart Copeland's brother, um, from the police. Ah, so the police were on one at some point nope. or not. They no, were okay. not. <laughs> That's a little bit of a, a family uh, feud. And now it's owned <laughs> by Warner. So hopefully Miles Copeland III made a lot of money. Um, Stuart Copeland, great drummer. Um, not this this Dave Lovering from the Pixies, nowhere in his league. But a good, a very good rock drummer. Um, but not in evidence on this album. Very, very basic rock drumming here. Um, which was another disappointment to me. So the next song is Magdalena 318 or is Yeah, that what it or is? 318 or however you say it, yeah. And I was reading the same interview where he talked about Green and Blues. He was talking about how this song is about the, is about the Pixies. It's about how, and it was just this convoluted story, which I didn't really put to understand completely, but it's, it's originally he wrote it as a love story about this woman, Magdalena. And then the manager of the band or the producer, no, the producer of the album was talking about how the Pixies of used to where all these, these 20 years were out in outer space <laughs> on a, on a planet together. And now they've come back to record the album. And, uh, so, so they're trying to do like a Deltron 3030 type thing with it. <laughs> and not, no, I guess. So he wrote this and then, then he looked and then he knew Magdalena was the name. And then he did a Google search. He, he said, do a Google search for Magdalena. The first thing that comes up is this asteroid belt called Magdalena 318. So I decided just like the producer said, this is about outer space. <laughs> All right. Well, it's kind of the way he thinks. So Kim and whatever the other guys were, we were all out on this planet. And so I guess he was writing this song before Kim Deal left or whatever happened. Well, yeah. I mean, if this song was really about the Pixies, he should have called it uh, Our Hearts Aren't In It Anymore. <laughs> Maybe but, this is the first try and the next, their next try will be better. I mean, I would hope so. I, I think they just need to get Kim Deal back. I don't, I don't think... I would. I have no desire to... Especially after listening to this album, I have no desire to listen to him without Kim Deal. And I'll give whoever this this new bassist is a chance to see what she's like. I guess I didn't, you know, I don't know the details of why she left, um, but maybe she just thought this music was crap, and uh, I I can go with her on that. But but this song is another another mid tempo one. Um, like I said, it's very hard for me. Like the the melody doesn't stick in my head, um, but I do remember that. 
I like um, the lead guitar line, Joey Santiago's guitar, which you can tell is very, very pretty to me. Mm-hmm. The stuff I, he does over the the rhythm. I I think all three of these songs are very pretty, and they're they're very catchy too. And I think in good ways, but I guess you don't necessarily agree. I don't I don't know what it is. I don't think it's a bad song. I think um, just the average song. Yeah, for some reason it doesn't stick in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, which which Greens and Blues did. Magdal- another tone in the oceans is kind of there, but Magdalena does stick in my head. I, the, the, like you're, you're saying, the guitar sounds good, but his voice is good too, so I like that. It's true, and he and it does have a chorus where he sings, you know, Magdalena, yeah. and, and it so it sticks out. I mean, I remember enough about it. It's just the melody is not embedded yet, so mm-hmm. um, which I expect it to be after listening to it for you know for a oh. week. Yeah, yeah, but. But that's all right. I mean, I listen to so much shit during the day that um, it, it's okay that it takes a little longer. I don't think it's a bad song. Like I said, I did think that the guitar is very pretty. Um, but I don't really have a lot to say. Like, to me, it's it's uh, functional alternative <laughs> rock, you know? I don't... Uh... It's not embarrassing. It's not uh, like I wouldn't feel guilty liking it. It just doesn't do a lot for me. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, you want to just play it and people can make up their own minds? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Here is Magdalena 318 or 318 or whatever it is. I call it Magdalena 318. Yeah, that that probably makes the most sense. I think that's how they that's how they would have said it in medieval times. I don't want to count that high. I don't want to ruin the show, but I have absolutely nothing to say about another tone in the ocean. It's pretty much a more song. of the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, another mid-tempo pixie song with a somewhat uh, pretty guitar. Now, their bassist they have now is named Paz Len Chanton. Do you know her? No, that's I don't even... That's not, that can't be a real name. That's what it says here. She's an Argent, Argentine-American musician. She's known for playing in various bands, including Perfect Circle, Pixies, and Zwan. Oh, I didn't know there was an Argentina in America, Paz. <laughs> you need to pick a side. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's, you know... So, do you know if she's actually from Argentina and moved here, or if she's like you know uh, second generation American from uh, Argentina? She is. So that could be good. Getting That's a, the interview that I read, one of the guys, I mean, the interviewer asked him, "You have this this uh, new bassist, and she's going to sing on some songs, and she actually sings Spanish. Are you going to take advantage of that?" And he's like, "Yeah, we're excited about that." So I don't know what difference that makes, but it could be good. Well, it would be nice if she could 
get some songwriting in and maybe, you know, maybe she has a different perspective on, on it that she could bring to it. Like Kim Deal did. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, you know, Kim Deal is American, but I mean, I don't know much about Argentinian music, but obviously there's got to be, some of that has to seep into her consciousness if she's into music, even if she likes, you know, rock for the most part. Um, it would be interesting to see if, if like her upbringing influenced her style at all or anything. And Oh, she came to America at the age of four, but still. Um but I mean, if they gave her any kind of voice or if they just give her what to play and nothing else, who knows? Right. And I don't know. It seems like, well, looking at the, you know, all songs written by black Francis. I, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't seem not. to be much of a, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if he doesn't let other people write songs or, or if they just can't. She's much younger than the rest of the band too. So, well, that's that good too. Another, infl- like another good, different influence. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's, that's a heartening uh, development, but but who knows how it'll go? If she's just basically a hired hand doing what? Right. She, yeah, she might just be there for the tour and not even on the next disc if there is a next disc. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, she's done a lot of stuff. I I never I have to say I've never heard of Zwan, but apparently it was famous. It was a super band. Oh shit! Who was was the dude from Smashing Pumpkins in that? Yeah, so that's one of the reasons because I, I never really was into them. But Me either Smashing Pumpkins, Slint, Tortoise, Chavez, and Perfect Circle. Oh, Slint, yeah, and Tortoise. Wow, that's oh, that's crazy. She's got the pedigree then. But she uh, also was on an album with uh, Acid Tongue, Jenny Lewis's album, which I don't quite remember. But anyway, I don't know anything about her, but she's she's a new bassist. Yeah, well, so she's got um, she's got good taste for the most part, and uh, but the fact that we never heard of her doesn't maybe doesn't bode well because maybe she's just she's just a hired hand, and that's this might like, this this might change your mind entirely. She's produced two solo albums, both of which were made available through her MySpace page. That does change my mind a little, um, depending on when she released them. Her MySpace <laughs> I, page. Wish it was, I wish it was last year, but it was 2000 and 2006. Okay. Well, 2006 is even getting yeah. a, a little, <laughs> although I guess Facebook was only like a year old at that point. So, I mean, oh yeah, but still. Well, yeah, maybe I'll check, check her stuff out. I mean, it couldn't be worse than this. Um, <laughs> another toe in the ocean. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it really it's, is more of the same. It's nice. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not terrible, but it's not it's not really that different. Yeah, it's not going to it's not going to win them any converts. I probably I've probably been better served if I picked all this all the songs from the album I hated cuz I would have had more to say about how I hated them, but I just I just thought I picked the three songs I liked. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Well, um, for all the songs you hated, if people want to hear them, just listen to all the other songs on the album. <laughs> Pretty much, I don't. For the most part, now there's one that was kind of psychedelic feeling that I kind of liked. I didn't think was too bad, Um, and I can't remember which one it was. It might have been Andrew Queen, but who knows? Um, Mm -hmm. But but yeah, well let's just let's just play the fucking thing, and uh, and get it over with since we instead of like struggling to come up with something to say about it, uh, here is another toe in the ocean. I start to sink, I put my toe in the ocean, I have a dream, I start to sink, I know. 
right, and that does it for that album. Thank Christ. Yeah, it's it's uh, disappointing. But, you know, also, why I, I don't know why I would expect more after this long and after losing Kim Deal and right, after and all his solo stuff and yeah, yeah. but you know I, I I will like I said I think uh, Joey Santiago's guitar work is really cool on the album and he's he's definitely got his own style and it comes through even when the songs aren't there um, so I like that um, but otherwise there's not a, a lot for me to say positive about the thing it really does sound more like uh, bands that were influenced by the Pixies than the actual, the actual Pixies. Yeah. Well, they're getting older. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that happens. Like, people do mellow as they get older, but that doesn't mean uh, you have to be boring. Right. You, you yeah, can I... still... I mean, there are still plenty of people, older mu- musicians who make... who still can make good music. Robin Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah, exact perfect example. So... Now here's something Santiago did after the Pixies. He he scored the the theme song for the Fox TV show Undeclared. Oh yeah, he did do film scores and stuff, and yeah, and TV scores. I remember seeing that documentary on the Pixies uh, when they did their first reunion tour. I can't even remember what it was called. Um, Loud, quiet, loud, or something. Um, and they talked about that. Yeah. Well, I. I, yeah, he's really good. He's he's not obviously not the songwriter, but I think he's like the most musically gifted. Him and the drummer mm-hmm. in the band, but but the drummer, like I said, was disappointing on this album. But then again, he didn't have a lot to work with. Um, and was the same drummer? Yeah, yeah, same yeah. drummer. Um, and oh yeah, they only list uh, three people on the whole album as. Oh no, they've got additional personnel. Um, but but, what's her name did not play bass on this album. No, yeah. that's what it, they picked her up after everything was done. So okay, yeah. So maybe that'll make a difference. Um, I'm not going to go see him live, but if you do, report to us and let us know. Yeah, you can write us at popcultureconsume at gmail dot com. Yes, you can, and you can also follow us on Facebook. And, and rate us highly on iTunes, and tell your friends to listen. And do all that stuff. I, I know. We like. I feel like we should have tried maybe more with Twitter, but I, I just don't. I don't have it in me. <laughs> yeah, that's... you gotta like really fish for followers, and and I don't know. That's not our style. We do some stuff with Facebook. Yeah, we do weekly updates on Facebook, which is, which is nice. And but I can't, I can't do you know every couple hour updates just to try to get more followers on twitter and shit yeah i I don't i wouldn't know what to say yeah me either would just be dumb shit Uh, which would probably work but you know i think it would drive our core listeners away maybe well 50 people don't want to hear us from us on twitter they just want to hear the weekly show yeah but they do seem to have a high tolerance for dumb shit so who knows that's true we could do anything they would probably listen if we just made noises for half hour that sounded realistic well that last meow sounded realistic and i think you should 
look, I mean, I know you're taking that class, but you should look into playing a cat and just do any, just quit your job and do that as a profession. Just be a uh, cat voiceover artist. Yes. Yes. Man, that would be living a dream. I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know. You know, it's probably it's probably a really crowded field, and you know they got like the SpongeBob dude as like it goes to the head of the auditions and everyone. So yeah, but not not everybody could be so realistic. Because I thought I actually jumped out of my seat because I thought there was a cat next to me, but it was just your voice in my my ears. Well, it might also be that I stole the soul of the uh, cat that I ate for lunch. Uh, so well, it, it, it could wear off. Well, that's true. Yeah. Well, don't quit your job quite yet. But definitely uh, quit your job. Okay. Uh, that's That sounds like sound advice. Um, you got, uh, you want to do recommendations? Sure. Did I always come up with to recommend the latest Spec CD, who I, since I didn't think I was going to be recommending that because I wasn't thinking, I forget the name of it. Do you remember? Fuck, I can't remember right now I will either. find out in a second. Yeah, this is it's, awesome recommendation. Well, it is good, even if I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, and it's called Mellow Gold. No, it's called, it's not. <laughs> I think it's called Modern Guilt. Is that, is that no, it is not. <laughs> Morning Phase. There you go. There you go. Jesus. <laughs> well, I'm, and it's it's uh, acoustic. Well, I don't know if it's acoustic, but it's real, real mellow, kind of folksy, country-ish. Really good. So are you sure you're not thinking of uh, Midnight Vultures? <laughs> that was my next guess. Wero? Yeah, it, it is. I have not listened to it enough yet. Like, I, I think I told you I thought it was somewhat boring on the first listen. But uh, I listened to the... I put a song on the uh, on one of my best of mixes, um, which was the first single from it. Uh, Morning, I think. No, Blue Moon. And uh, that's a really good song, mm-hmm. the more I've listened to it. So I'll give it a, another chance. Sorry, is that the end of your thoughts on the Beck album? Yeah. Oh, all right. So it's a good mellow album. Worth worth checking out. If I mean, I if and you it know, is called if, the information. The information. No, it's morning phase. Oh, I was thinking sea change. Anyway, if, if you like sea change, you'll like morning phase. Yeah. So get that. It's called uh, Odelay. No, 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 no. Um, I don't think that's it. I think it's a stereopathic soul manure. Oh, Garo? I already said that one. Damn it. Moving on, what's your recommendation? I'm going to recommend... Um, well, I'll recommend the book I'm reading right now. I haven't quite finished it, but I've gone pretty far. It's called... Uh, uh, ties into an older episode of ours. Um, Mad as Hell, The Making of Network and the Fateful Vision of the Angriest Man in Movies. Oh, About, that's cool. Yeah, Paddy Chayefsky and, and Network. And uh, what they went through to make it, and and how it affected the culture, and you know how it was kind of a premonition for what was to come. So it's a it's an interesting book so far. First question is, was it difficult to get it made? Um, kind of. It, it took it took a while. I mean, it went through like all his different ideas for it and his his drafts and stuff. Um, but I think once he actually brought it to them, it wasn't super difficult to get it made. Um. Uh. Because he was a a well-known name. Right. Um, and he'd won two Academy Awards, I think, previously. Or his, or he won an Academy Award and like one of his movies had won an Academy Award um, for something else. So 
so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't super difficult, but um, but there was like fallout with you know the news departments and stuff um, when it came out, and uh, what I shouldn't say it wasn't difficult to get made, but like he he fought very hard for total creative control on it, and he got it, and that's how they he ended up getting it made. So that that process was like he had to go to a couple different studios and. Um, he took it away from one studio, and you know. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting book. Uh, into... Second question was his giving up the creative control. What led it to to be made in regular two D and not three D? Because I understood it was supposed to be three D. Well, he didn't give up creative control. He retained it. Um, I, yeah, I'm sure they would have loved to do it in three D. You know, three D was all the rage in 1976. So what I'm asking is, why didn't it end up in three D? What? Well, there's still time. Um, they might re-release it to theaters like they did with That's true, uh, Star Wars Titanic. Yeah. Uh, did they really release Star- Titanic in in 3D? Yeah, I didn't know that. Good. I hope that I hope it fucking tanked. <laughs> um, no pun intended. Oh God, what a terrible fucking movie! Have you seen that? No, I've never seen it. I had I, when it came out, a couple different people told me it wasn't good, so I just didn't bother. It is not. Um. I know a lot of people talk about the spectacle at the end of the ship going down and stuff, but, um, which I don't know, which might be cool for like two minutes, but I think it lasts like 45 minutes. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, the love story is just beyond stupid and the, uh, the dialogue's terrible, of course. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. I, I won't say you should watch it cause it really is just terrible. Well, we'll do an episode, Titanic versus the sinking of the, what's the name of that terrible movie with Ernest Borgnine, Poseidon Adventure? Yeah, Poseidon Adventure. I, I would venture to say Poseidon Adventure is far more entertaining. <laughs> I have not seen either movie. I, I don't think I've ever seen any of the disaster movies that were big in the 70s. Nope, me either. The Towering Inferno, Airport, and then Airport 74, and Airport 77. And... <laughs> Was Airplane like a riff on that stuff so i guess i have since i've seen airplane it kind of was but airplane was also um supposedly a riff on a very specific yeah that was that was much older um than the disaster movies of the 70s so i'm actually trying to look it up right now um blah blah yeah this is gonna take forever to find this so um let's see yeah never mind um doesn't matter doesn't matter but it was it was definitely uh also a play on the disaster movies of the 70s which were i don't zero know, hour zero hour and what year was that does it say 57 yeah so yeah so a lot older um that's an episode airplane versus zero hour oh i would do that i wonder if you can even find zero hour anywhere um the uh I'm trying to think of like what the what the modern day equivalent of those disaster movies would be, but I don't think there really is one. Like they got, they generally got um, a bunch of old washed up actors together. Like what was Poseidon Adventure? Was it like Ernest Borgnine and Shelley Winters and stuff? Uh, yeah, I only remember Ernest Borgnine. Although I think The Towering Inferno had like. Uh, Paul Newman and Faye Dunaway and stuff. Oh, so, so. Y- young, young stars. Yeah, I don't know it, if there is an equivalent. Like, there's no equivalent on TV today of Love Boat and Fantasy Island where they get the, all those old actors and actually current stars all in, in one place. They don't really do that on anything. Well, thank I guess, God. You know, I guess that's what the point of stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> like Dancing with the Stars is. They do bring has-beens and young people together. Yeah, one. but they don't actually have to act or anything. They do have to dance. Yeah, they. well, I mean, they have to act like they still have a career and they're not shamelessly doing it for money, I guess. Um, I heard an interview with David Allen Greer, who was on that show, and at times he's really funny and at times he's just pathetic. It's it's I don't know which which I feel worse about thinking he's pathetic or wishing he'd been more more stuff because he is really funny. Yeah, he is funny. Uh, where, did you hear him on Comedy Bang Bang? Is that I think he, yeah I think it was Comedy Bang Bang. Did you hear it? On yeah, the... I don't remember it too much, but yeah I did. Um, yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, a lot of those guys from In Living Color didn't go on like Damon Wayans did some stuff for a while and then he kind of now his, his son, son is just doing it um and his son is, well on New Girl he's not that good he's, but on he's Happy Endings terrible. the first couple of seasons he was really funny yeah well it's not that he's so much terrible on New no, Girl it's the that show. the character is the character's is, not well written and the show's gone kind of downhill yeah there's the character's no need. is the first in the pilot he was great but I don't I think they brought him back just because they could and they don't really have anything to do with them. Well, did he play the same character in the pilot, or did he play the other black dude's part, and then he... He played the same in- character. Oh, he did. Okay. Was, he moved, I think... I forget what, where he moved to, but the other character came, was just came back from playing basketball in Europe, and that's why he arrived. Oh, but, yeah. And that character, that actor's pretty funny. And I, I wish they did more with him, too, because he does a good job. Yeah, I like him. Um, yeah, it's the show's not... I think great. that's the problem. The show has a lot of great actors, but not a lot of good writing. Yeah, I think the writing's definitely gone downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you see the Prince episode? I just saw that recently. It was it was pretty funny, and it was I don't think I've ever seen Prince act because I've never seen his movies. So it was well, pretty, I mean, I you it. still really haven't seen him act. <laughs> <laughs> he he has not improved since uh, Purple. You haven't seen Purple Rain? No. Oh, holy shit! We got to think of something to do. Purple Rain versus dude. Purple Rain versus Mahogany. Oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> Why not? That, do you know that theme song from Mahogany by Diana Ross? No, I don't know anything about Mahogany. But I kind of feel like one of those situations where you're pretending to be a Republican and you just you have to stop. No, I, I the, the theme song from Mahogany, it was a hit for Diana Ross. And it sounds to me like the oral equivalent of suicide. <laughs> It's. I don't know why. There's just something about it. Oh, it's terrible. You know what? I'm going to throw that song on at the end of this episode. <laughs> and then you can hear what I'm saying. I, I think I wrote once that it reminded... Like, the image that it brought to my mind, that song was like a 70s kind of washed out uh, film image in, like, this field of flowers and somebody in, like, some cultish white robe going out there and then just drinking poison. Um <laughs> <laughs> which is weirdly specific i know but it, it's oh that song uh, i'm I'm gonna love to torture all of you listeners with this you have to listen all the way through yeah you? well maybe just put it instead of uh what you usually do in the middle put that in the middle and at the end you'll they'll find out why it's there the, yeah i could um it's got, yeah i think it's even got an electric piano on it which is maybe the ugliest instrument ever um anyway yeah it's 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 horrible so no we'll think of something to do prince with maybe uh well, the thing is, there's no, like, rock stars doing 
fictionalized stories of their lives. <laughs> it's a very specific. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, you could do it against some dumb biopic like the Johnny Cash one or something, but. Um... Or against an Elvis movie. Oh, that's a good idea, actually, because I, I don't think I've ever seen an Elvis movie. I know I haven't, because I know there's no good reason to see one. But they're probably easy to come by. You think so? Well, maybe not. I know they're they're also uniformly terrible. I guess so yeah. maybe maybe nobody gives a shit enough to have them streaming or anything. I think it's kind of sad what what became of Elvis. I don't think I realized how he he's pretty good, but it became such a joke. Well, and a lot of that was you know Colonel Tom Parker, his manager was. Yeah, such a... that's a shame. And uh, but I was watching the his comeback special. Uh huh. He sounds really good, and he looks good. It's before he got became Fat Elvis, and it, I can see why he was such a star. Oh yeah, no, he's he's got it, man, for sure. Um, and this is like this is after he was he'd already been at the top, and this was his what it was comeback, and it was yeah, it was sixty eight, yeah, and it was kind of a like it wasn't it was just him on the stage in a black outfit, and there's some stuff in the background, but it was it was sparse, and he was carrying the whole thing by himself, and it was awesome. I didn't watch the whole thing, but what I watched was awesome. Yeah, no, he was, I mean, there's, there's almost always a reason for anybody who's that big, even if you don't like them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, you know, Katy Perry, I, I'm sure has something going for her. Like, I've never seen her perform or anything, but I'm sure she puts on a big production at least. I've seen her jump up and down in an Elmo shirt. On The Simpsons? Oh, oh on the... Saturday Night Live. Was that what that's from? I just saw it, like, somebody... That's on uh, people often use it as an animated gif. Oh, that's classy. Well, I only hang out with classy people. Present company included. Why? Thank you. That was a. Uh, You're welcome. Unexpected uh, delight. You were sure I was going to say excluded. You're you're girding your heart for for a, an insult, and I complimented you. Yeah, my uh, now I. I my bowels were backed up for a second there. Now I'm now I'm good to go. One of my favorite well, it's not a game, but I like going on Wikipedia and looking at stuff and then watching which links I've clicked on before and trying to figure out why I clicked on how them. you got there. Yeah, and I can't always do it, but Zero Hour has Jerry Parrish in it. I don't know who that is. That's the dentist from Dick Van Dyke's show. Oh. I don't know who that is. The neighbor. Nope. And he went on to become a sitcom director. Oh, just like uh, Bob Newhart, dude. Yeah, I always thought that was funny that both uh, both dentists became sitcom directors. And Bob Newton, going back to Parks and Rec, Bob Newhart was in a recent ep- Bob Newhart dude was in a recent episode of that. The the dentist dude. Yeah. Oh, well, I, like I said, I haven't watched the uh, latest. It wasn't episode. the most recent. It was a couple weeks ago where she. I forget what the point was. She had found these two old people who had been married for a bunch of years, and she brought them on TV. Oh yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were—they uh, actually hated each other. Yes. Yeah. Oh, one was from Pawnee, and one was from the from the other town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we oh, we already did do a Parks and Rec app. I know, but we will do another one because I love that show so much. Perhaps the season finale. We'll do the season finale of that versus versus something. Purple Rain. <laughs> no, we, you've already you've already told me we cannot compare two different uh, forms of media. It can only be TV TV versus TV or movies versus movie. Can never I say be... that. I I'm yeah, actually 
That's what you told me one time. I think it would be fun to do uh, a TV show versus a movie <laughs> or an album. I don't know how how we could do the album. Oh, uh, we could do one of those one of uh, Scott Bayo's uh, musical albums versus Happy Days. Well, Scott Bayo, I mean, that's a little above ground. Did you know Donnie Most had an album out? I didn't know Scott Bayo really had one. He probably did. <laughs> but I definitely didn't know Donnie Most had one. I'm going to look up uh, Scott Bayo right now and see if he's got. Donnie a, Most, uh, is he Potsy or is he Ralph Mouth? Ralph Mouth. Oh. Does um, he really have an album? Yeah, yeah. I saw it at Amoeba one day, um, you know, in the 99 cent bin. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and you bought it and said, I'm going to sell this on eBay for $99. <laughs> wow. It doesn't look like he has an album out, which is weird because he was in uh, Bugsy Malone, which was like the. Uh, oh, with Jodie Foster. Yeah. The musical gangster movie. And then he, of course, he was on Joni Loves Chachi. And weren't they like singing on there? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't know Bugsy Malone was a musical. Yeah. Yeah. It had songs. Um, oh, was well, Newsies a musical? Don't I never saw Newsies? I know it's a musical now. It's delighting audiences across the country. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like a stage play. The uh, well, here's here's some food for thought. Bio has voiced that his politics are conservative. He is a registered Republican. It's really, that... he, he is. He was one of the famous guests in attendance during the historical ceremonies of the late U.S. President Ronald Reagan's televised state funeral. <laughs> I had no idea. What an odd fact. <laughs> uh, which mentioned Scott. Wait, blah blah blah. He, he sat near uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher at that. Yeah. This has this has to be put on. This is all from Wikipedia, so there's there is a good chance it's a put on. But um, oh, on July first, two thousand ten, he hosted the Dennis Miller show. Wow, I'd like to get. I'd love to get some audio of that. Oh, oh man. I, I was thinking you were talking about the Dennis Miller show from years ago, but you're talking about the conservative talk show. Conservative Dennis Miller. Yeah. 2010. Well, yeah. So the Bob, 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 talks. Right. Well, and he said, it says that he gave his views on current events, such as the BP oil spill. Um, <laughs> it I was for that spill, by who, the way. You know, weren't we all, it's, it's just one of, uh, it's the Ten, the cycle of nature. Nine, eight. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. I, <laughs> I stand by it. I was for the BP oil spill. <laughs> I'm very liberal. <laughs> All right. I think we've uh, rambled on long enough. I think so too. So uh, fuck you, man. Get up out this bitch. Uh, but to you, listeners. Instead of, uh, instead of that kind of harshness, I will say, fuck you, in a very nice, friendly tone. We wish you gentle, sweet dreams. And until next time, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>